Hello. Hi. I'm Emma. I'm Shannon. And welcome to This Podcast Doesn't Exist. <laughs> We've got some nice, fancy new microphones that we're very excited about. Um, very much thanks to my brother-in-law, Ben. So thank you, thank you, Ben. Um, we're really excited to use them, and hopefully this sounds good. If it doesn't, let us know. Yeah, thanks for reaching out to the wife, Ben, for Family Secret Santa. Yeah. <laughs> it was very funny. In his email, he's like, you know, I thought about, I could ask her husband, but like, that's too basic. Like, anybody would do that. I'm going to go and ask the wife. And I was like, Correct answer, Benjamin. Good job. Correct answer. It was a little stressful, though. I get very nervous when I know information and I'm not supposed to reveal the information. Yeah. But we did it. You're a good secret keeper. You just don't like keeping secrets like that. Uh, oh, yeah, when they're, like, important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when I knew that Barton was going to propose to you, but I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I sort of knew, but you were texting me, like, we're going on a cabin getaway, and I was like... <laughs> um that's not when it happened y'all no but like i was like i can't just be like calm down it's not happening because then you'd know that i knew something right so i was just like i figured talk to him Mm." i kind of figured that you knew mostly because while i was so the way that it happened was that i was away for like a couple of months in the uk and uh barton was over here still in the states and I got a Pinterest message from Shannon of a ring, and she said, do you like this? (laughs) And I said, um, for you, question mark? And she said, no. "No." (laughs) I mean, to be fair, back in that day, we did message each other on Pinterest. We messaged each other on everything. I mean, we still do that, we still but, do we that, just but we just don't, don't. We don't go on Pinterest, Pinterest and we're not on Tumblr and we're not. A couple more um, Facebook memories have popped up recently. Mm-hmm. Screenshots of Pinterest messages between us. Very nice. Yeah. Anyway, as you might be able to tell, we're best friends. Yes. And this is not a wedding podcast. Nope. Or, I mean, in a way, it's a storytelling podcast. But what is this podcast, Emma? This podcast is about mysteries, every kind. Um, they might be cryptid in nature. They might be murdery. They might be paranormal, which is my favorite and kind of freak Shannon out. So those no. don't happen as frequently as I would like. But, you know, I love my best friend, so I'm trying really hard not to, you know, scare her out of my life. But, yeah, so we talk about basically everything that doesn't yet have an answer. Um, So welcome, if you're new here. Uh, We've got a website, thispodcastdoesntexist.com. Dot com. You can go there and follow all of our socials. We live mostly on Instagram, and we are starting to... TikTok. <laughs> Remember. We do. We got one if, of those too. But if you are not on the clock app, I'm working on getting our content, our existing content over there onto Instagram Reels. So yeah. those are in our feed too. You Just can check it out. Come hang out on Insta. And if you've got any stories, I love ghost stories. Um, Shannon loves all kinds of stories. So. I just like it when people notice us. Yeah. Just come and hang out just and come tell validate us your stuff. Us. Tell us all about you. We yeah. want to know everything about you. Um, and you can send that to our Gmail, which is also on our website. You can find it there. It just says a little write in button and it pops up for you. So you don't have an, we're, we've made it so easy. What, you didn't like my Valley Girl? I just, it was unexpected. Oh, well, you can also find the bingo card 
on our website. Oh, shoot. How could I forget about the bingo card? I know, card? the bingo card. Um, it's got some lovely boxes on there. Uh, and one of them might just be the character. What What have we put on there? Have we put accents on there yet? No, but we should. I know. Chad and Brad, I mean. Uh, our best co-hosts. Our besties, our co-hosts. Uh, if you have anything that you would like to see on the bingo card, write in with that as well or DM us on Instagram because we read reasons. them all. We read them all. Don't worry. But sometimes one of us reads it and then the other one doesn't see the notification and then we're like, "Oh, sorry, friend of the podcast. I didn't see that because the other person saw it." Yeah, sorry, Christian. Sorry, we share an Instagram account. Whoops. But anyway, Today, we've got one for you, Shannon, that I think we, <laughs> I've got one for you. Who am I? Got 15,000 different personalities, apparently. <laughs> um, I've got one for you today that I think you're going to like. And it's actually fairly similar to another one that I've done. Um, and I think you'll know exactly what that is once I start talking about it. That's like the worst teaser on the planet. But I mean, I'm intrigued and confused. Great. Um, so... Minor side note, um, I've just moved to a small town. And what do small towns love more than a juicy bit of gossip? Mm. Uh, I think they, like, attempted murder. Oh. Yeah. So um, don't forget to buckle up, except in this case, school buses don't necessarily have seat belts. So just grip the edge of the seat and pray no one has wiped a booger or stuck gum under it. So there you go. Good luck. <laughs> Shannon put her hands in her lap. <laughs> I'm, I'm concentrating my core yep. so that I can oscillate with the bus. Yeah, there you go. All right. Today, my friends, we are talking about the Circleville Letter Writer. This wits, you guys. <laughs> I also have this tab open in my <gasps> possible serious? topics. It's just like a one tab, though. Oh, okay. I haven't done any actual research this time. <laughs> the Mary Celeste I was Who aware of. can say <laughs> The Mary Celeste I was aware of. But for this one, I didn't I didn't even think that you would, you would be no, looking at this No, because I one. think at some point I had Googled, like, unsolved historical mysteries or something. And then, like, I just have a bunch of tabs open so that when I sit down... The day, the day before the podcast, um, usually, I just feel like something about this setup makes me feel like I'm supposed to be having like an NPR voice. You know what I mean? Like I'm supposed to be like, "All right, Emma, what are we learning about today?" Well, Shannon. (laughs) Wait, what is it from? If we had an NPR, like, what is your NPR alter ego's name? Sharon. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It seems like like a, um, like Sharon O'Neill. Oh, I feel like mine would be like Vanessa. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good radio name. Vanessa. It's a lot of like, ah. Do you hate this? Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) All right. Let's get into it, shall we? Okay, yeah, let's go. Buckle in. Well, you can't on a school bus. Sorry, I forgot about that. Just clench really hard and lean into the turn. Clench everything. Put that on the merch. <laughs> All right. So, we are entering the town of Circleville, Ohio. Population, 14,000. 
I thought you were going to be like 14. (laughs) 14, period. 14,000. And walking down Main Street will give you a keen sense of just how nothing ever happens here kind of vibe this town has. It would prefer to be best known for its Circleville Pumpkin Show that's been an annual tradition since 1903, but instead this town gets a little more notoriety than it like. Also, I would like to note that their water tower is painted to look like a pumpkin. And it's kind of adorable. We gotta go on the road trip. <laughs> right? Oh, this is definitely a pin in the road trip uh, I mean, map. we gotta have a half-decent reason to go to Ohio. Right? No offense, but also, like, oof. Ooh. Well, I mean, I haven't... Not me alienating our whole giant <laughs> Ohio contingent. Our Ohioans, sorry. Um, I haven't genuinely been to Ohio. I have driven through a portion of it, and then Barton got pulled over for running through a stop sign that wasn't there. Oh, yeah, I remember. So, yes. yeah, that was interesting. So, Ohio, I, get your get your stop signs together, I drove, and we'll come by. I drove into Ohio with my mom, and we stayed the night, and I auditioned for some summer theater things, mm. and then we drove home, and none of them called me back. So, Rude. Ohio. Rude. 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 But anyway, we're coming to Circleville just for the pumpkin right. pumpkin festival. The festival, yeah. But in 1976, residents of Circleville, Ohio, started to receive some interesting letters in their mailboxes. These weren't flyers for next week's choir show or a pamphlet for trash days. These were very direct letters that gave specific details about the receiver's life. The writer seemed to know everything about the personal lives of basically everyone in Circleville, and no one could figure out who it was and who would know every little detail. It's almost as if whoever it was was watching them. <gasps> the Watcher! See, that was the one! Well, of course it was. <laughs> of course you knew that the minute, <laughs> the minute I said it. But if y'all didn't know, that was also an episode I did. Uh, what was the name of it? Baby Bones? I think it was Baby Bones. Or the, yeah. Toilets are Bleeding was a different scary <laughs> Toilets house. Toilets are Bleeding was Amityville. <laughs> Look, you do a lot of scary houses, all I, right? I do. I do. I like them. These weren't just floating rumors. These were distinct facts that only the receiver should know, usually intimate in nature. Um, the writer also accused them of many things like embezzlement, affairs, domestic violence, and even murder. One person... (laughs) I don't like that! (laughs) I gotta just, like, slip the jokes in, because you, like, get on a roll sometimes. I do. I feel like I need, like, a little sign that I can hold up to be, like... need, like, a little... I am about to do a bit. You you need one of those uh, ping pong paddles? From an auction house or something? One side says bit, and one side says stop, I need to drink my tea. (laughs) Yeah, right. Stop. (laughs) Sound. Sound needs to happen. Sound is happening. One person seemed to be targeted with a much more threatening tone than anyone else in town, a school bus driver named Mary Gillespie. Mary Gillespie was in her 30s, known well in town, and led a pretty quiet life with her husband Ron and their kids. When she opened the mailbox that day in 1976, she wasn't expecting the letter postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, 25 miles away. It had no return address and simply said her name. 
When she opened it, she didn't understand at first what she was reading in the large uppercase block lettering. It said, quote, Mrs. Gillespie, stay away from Massey. Don't lie when questioned about meeting him. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon, end quote. Massey referred to Gordon Massey, the school superintendent, and therefore Mary's superior. Mary, rightly frightened but confused, as she wasn't having an affair with the superintendent, decided to try and ignore the letter, thinking it was just a prank. But more kept coming, including one which read, quote, It's your daughter's turn to pay for what you've done. I shall come out there and put a bullet in that little girl's head, end quote in reference to Tracy Gillespie, Mary's daughter, which is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And another read, quote, Lady, this is your last chance to report him. I know you are a pig and will prove it and shame you out of Ohio. A pig sneaks around and meets other women's husbands behind their backs, causes families and homes and marriages to suffer. End quote. Eventually, a letter arrived for Ron Gillespie, reading, quote, Mr. Gillespie, your wife is seeing Gordon Massey. You should catch them together and kill them both. He doesn't deserve to live, end quote. So this, like, is starting to seem like the person who is sending these to Mary wants Gordon Massey gone mm-hmm. and doesn't seem to care about Mary, mm-hmm. wanting to just kind of, like, poke them in the direction of getting rid of him in some mm-hmm. capacity. Mary hadn't told Ron about the letters she had received thus far, and Ron was both stunned and annoyed. He could get his wife wanting to ignore the letters in order to get back to normalcy, but with his daughter threatened and the writer telling him to kill his wife, Ron was understandably concerned. And to kill somebody else. The writer also threatened Ron's life if he did nothing about the alleged affair, saying, quote, We know what kind of car you drive. We know where your kids go to school. End quote which is also an interesting change of pronoun. Mm. Mm -hmm. Other letters were being received around town about the alleged affair and attempted to get people to have Gordon Massey fired. So basically saying, vote him out, get him off of the uh, Mm -hmm. school bard. School bard. The school bard. (laughs) Or school bard. Um, And get him, you know, out of Ohio politics in that capacity. Mm Mm-hmm. The Gillespies did their best to ignore the threats. They had a suspect that would want to scare them, a man named David Longberry, who was another school bus driver. He had once made a pass at Mary, and when she had rejected him, he started to act resentful towards her. Mary thought this would be motive enough to try and spread the rumor of an alleged affair and sully her name. Ron and Mary, with the help of Ron's sister Karen, brother-in-law Paul Fresher, and Paul's sister, decided on a plan. Write a letter to David and tell him to stop, that they knew who he was and that it wouldn't work or scare them. And for a short time after they sent the letter, the writing stopped. They thought they had solved it, or at least put a stop to it. On August 19, 1977, Mary was on her way to Florida and had left Ron and the kids at home. The family was enjoying themselves in the living room that evening when the phone rang. Ron picked up and his demeanor according to his daughter, went from jovial, his default state, to something much more sinister and reserved. 
he slammed the phone down and told his daughter that the that it was the writer and he was going to take care of this thing once and for all. He grabbed his pistol and jumped into his red and white truck. He sped off into the night. A few hours later, Ron Gillespie was found dead in his truck. He had crashed into a tree at high speed in an intersection he drove through every day, very near his home. His pistol was found underneath his body, and it was missing one bullet. <gasps> the question of what exactly happened to Ron Gillespie and who he had fired at remained unanswered as police basically botched the entire scene. Oh. Yep. You don't say. Mm-hmm. Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe interviewed one suspect, but dismissed them once they passed the polygraph test and ruled the case an accident based on the 0.16 blood alcohol level found in Ron's autopsy, which is twice the legal limit in Ohio. But Ron didn't drink. He was a teetotaler. Mm. Shannon held up her tea to the microphone, as if you could see it. <laughs> it was very cute. <laughs> you guys want some? You want some? Here go. It's mint. She put sugar in it. Yeah, because I'm a child. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm drinking decaf black tea, completely black. Blech. That she only dunked for like 90 seconds. Okay, this is... <laughs> are we... Are we scatting? I... <laughs> we are! <laughs> no, I was doing modern dance choreography counts. With your mouth? Yeah. <laughs> With your mouth. <laughs> I stopped at modern dance. <laughs> doing modern dance with your mouth. <laughs> it's called scatting. <laughs> no, the counts. I was going to be like... You definitely took a Magruder class at least once. I did. I took yoga. She said namast instead of namaste. Look. It was a lot. <laughs> I quit after two classes. I'm just here for I the... Because I couldn't deal with it. Go. NSA7A. Yep, again. I never had to take any of those. I had to take... So many. Well, because I didn't finish my musical theater degree. <laughs> That's fine. The Sorry. few, the proud, the musical theater majors of Sweetbriar College. Yep. There's only like six of us. Yeah. Because then they went and changed the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And we back. More letters started to arrive in the community's mailboxes, accusing Sheriff Radcliffe of covering up whoever really killed Ron and framed it as an accident, asking for a reopening of the case. Paul Freshour, his brother-in-law, also asked for a reopening, as he believed whoever wrote the letters had actually killed Ron. Even after Ron's death, the letters kept coming, to Mary and her family, but also to senior officials in the police department. Eventually, Mary and Gordon admitted to an affair. Yep. <laughs> Shannon stopped herself from drinking her tea. That was the best visual bit you have ever done that wasn't meant to be a bit. That was so good. Cinematic. I like, well, I guess in my head, I was like, oh, I, could, I thought of a joke I could make. And then you were like, and then they admitted to it. I was like, oh, what? No, they were having an affair. What? They were, but both claimed it only happened after the letters began. 
like the writer was some kind of prophet who had predicted the affair, Ron's death, and the police department's incompetence. What? So, a little insane. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say it's, I, I can't relate to the experience of like, yeah, I've been getting these scary letters. Let me go talk to the other person that the letters are about. And like, wow, this is really scary. Oh, we're making out now. Like, I don't see how that's <laughs> realistic, but it could happen, I think. I mean, Trauma bonding. I guess. But it, there's also no, like, one, this this case doesn't have any kind of collective Wikipedia page. There is a page about it on like a fandom wiki, but there isn't anything like comprehensive of like the actual materials or anything like Mm -hmm. that so i don't know what letters if any gordon massey received so i don't know if well and the police don't have them it sounds like well and i don't know how many people took them as fact at first or just like spam yeah and or if they were just like oh this is a prank that some kid is playing i'm just gonna throw this away yeah even though they were like actual facts about their lives that were pretty intimate so like it they were trying to throw them away to like make sure that no one else knew about them i guess i don't know i but like there's no evidence of what gordon received at all Hmm. but he came out at the same time that mary did to say yeah we're having an affair but it only happened after the letters Mm -hmm. which is just weird yeah but Even this admission didn't stop the harassment. Mary continued to receive threatening messages periodically for the next few years. Mm. On February 7th, 1983, while on her bus route, Mary noticed a sign off the side of the road that said something very vulgar about her daughter. On Unsolved Mysteries, the TV show, the reenactment had it say, Tracy Gillespie sucks, (laughs) which is... Very nice, but it was actually something much more vulgar and explicit. Yeah, my brain was like, sucks what? (laughs) Yeah, it was um, a little closer to that, and it also involved Gordon. So it was was very vulgar, not something that I'm going to say, because it wasn't... Wait, was it just like an existing billboard that somebody painted over, or was it like a printed... It was like... there there was a post at the end of a fence okay at the edge of a fence and someone had put a sign on top of it had like stuck a sign on top of it gotcha and it was not the first time because there had been other signs like this and all of them had to do with her daughter Mm. i think if it old is her daughter at this point she's 13 not that it not that it's ever okay but but like she's a pre-teen. She's still a baby. Like, mm-hmm. she's she's 13. She's not in any way a young adult yet. Well, she's starting, but... She's close, still. but yeah. Mary had had enough. This was a public threat of her 13-year-old daughter, and it wasn't the first, as I mentioned. She stopped her bus and stomped over to the post that the sign was stuck to and pulled it down. As she did, she noticed it was attached to a box behind it with some string. She took the whole thing, box and all, back into the school bus with her. When she got home after her route, she opened it to find a handgun with the handle tied with string. (gasps) The whole thing was rigged to go off when she took down the sign, but it hadn't as it had been so crudely put together and it had been taken off in a way that it made sure that 
it didn't actually shoot. And of course, Mary took it straight to the police. Mm -hmm. When the police looked at the gun, they noticed that the serial number had been crudely filed but hadn't been fully filed off. The crime lab was able to read it and traced it back to its owner, Paul Freshour, Mary's brother-in-law, mm. who was currently divorcing from Karen, Ron's sister. Sheriff Radcliffe brought Paul into the station and asked him about the gun. His response was that, yes, it was his, but he hadn't seen it in a while. He had stored it in his garage and didn't know when it went missing. While at the station, Sheriff Radcliffe had Paul do something else. Radcliffe handed Paul a sheet of paper and a pen and then laid down the first note that Mary had received in her mailbox from the letter writer. Radcliffe told him to copy down the letter as he saw it as exactly as he could. And he did. Radcliffe then gave him another sheet of paper and read him the letter and had him write down what was being read. He collected the page and then told Paul that he was under arrest for attempted murder of Mary Gillespie, as his handwriting and that of the Circleville letter writer, as the postscript had begun to say, were close enough to be the same. This handwriting matched what was on the sign, too. Paul was shocked, but Mary and everyone else in town assumed that the writer had finally been caught and the torment would end. Hmm. On October 23rd, 1983, Paul Freshour's trial began. Although he wasn't on trial for writing the harassing letters, they were used as key evidence against him, a big win for the prosecution. A handwriting expert took the stand at one point and said that in his opinion, the writer of the letters and Paul Freshour were one and the same. Paul's boss took the stand and said that Paul took the day off, in the one in question where the booby trap would have been set up, and didn't report for work until the next day. Mary Gillespie said that she believed Paul to be the writer of the letters and claimed that Karen, Paul's ex-wife, shared the opinion when she came to her in 1982 and told Mary her suspicions. Paul and her were in the midst of their divorce at the time, and it was not an amicable one in the least. Paul, although he claimed he had a solid alibi for the day, did not take the stand in his own defense. The week-long trial came to an end when the jury who only deliberated for a few hours, came back with a guilty verdict. Paul was stunned, but Mary and the rest of Circleville were relieved. Paul was sentenced to 7 to 25 years in prison for the attempted murder. After Paul was incarcerated, it was assumed the letters would stop. But Circleville residents continued to receive harassing letters about their personal lives. Demanding to know how they were still receiving letters with the assumed writer in prison, residents pushed Sheriff Radcliffe to press the warden and have Paul sent to solitary confinement, where he wouldn't be allowed anything, let alone paper and pen. Even with Paul in prison in solitary in Lima, Ohio, the, the letters postmarked from Columbus, an hour and a half away from the prison, still arrived in Circleville mailboxes, including one accusing Paul's prosecutor of murdering a pregnant woman. The warden eventually sent a letter to Karen, saying that he didn't believe that the letters were being sent by Paul, as he couldn't see how they could be. Paul, at this point, had been in solitary three times in order to test the theory of whether or not he was sending the letters. Mm-hmm. After seven years in prison in 1990, Paul was up for parole. 
After the parole board rejected him due to the amount of letters still circulating, Paul himself received a letter from the Circleville letter writer. <gasps> Quote, Fresh hour. Now when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there? I told you two years ago. When we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all? No one wants you out. No one. The joke is on you. Ha ha. Tell no one of this letter. I saw the paper. Great news. Great. The sheriff loved it. Ha ha. Do you believe it now? Do you? End quote. Eventually, Paul was granted parole in 1994 and was released, maintaining his innocence. Unsolved Mysteries, an incredible 90s TV show, and if you haven't seen it, please go. A lot of the episodes are on YouTube. It's great. Had decided to do a segment on the Circleville letter writer. They reached out to Sheriff Radcliffe and to Mary Gillespie, who both declined, but Paul wanted to talk. So upon his release, they were going to interview him. The show wasn't outside the scope of the Circleville letter writer, and they received the following on a postcard, postmarked from Columbus. Quote, Forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to Ohio, you El Sickos will pay. The Circleville writer. End quote. The show was still conducted, and nothing seemed to happen, but some evidence came forward that had not yet been revealed to the public, which we'll talk about in a second. After the release of the Unsolved Mysteries episode in 1994, the letters stopped for good, and no one has heard from the Circleville letter writer since. So let's hop on some theories. And these theories are just, like, the people who could be this letter writer. The first is Paul. Some still believe that Paul is the culprit, writing the letters to get some kind of justice for his brother-in-law when Mary was stepping out on him. I don't know why I wrote stepping out on him, like I'm from the 1940s. But the affair, according to Mary, didn't even start until after the letters. And Paul and Karen were starting on the road to divorce. So what other motive could Paul have had for starting this? And why make it so widespread, not just on Mary and Ron? In 2021, a 48 Hours episode aired about this case, renewing some thoughts on the handwriting analysis and the letters sent while Paul was in prison. Beverly East, a renowned handwriting expert, said without a doubt that she believed Paul Freshour to be the Circleville letter writer, based on the way that he writes his G's. But how would he know so much about the rest of the town? And, like, why would he even bother? It has also been brought up that the way that Paul's handwriting was initially tested was very much not okay. The whole copy down exactly what you see thing mm -hmm. is not a proper way to test handwriting. And handwriting analysis is only ever accurate 57% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially, like, under duress, I feel like, is... They... I feel like I've talked about this before, but the uh, early 2000s version of Catwoman starring Halle Berry. Oh, yes. They, like, get an expert, but she, her handwriting's different when she is Catwoman versus mm -hmm. when she's just a normal person. You have brought that up before. I wonder what it was. Probably one of your... Probably the watching episodes. Yeah, Sorry. Probably. But yeah, but I mean, even think about your own handwriting. Like when I'm in a yeah. rush versus when I'm writing a letter to a friend versus just like jotting down notes. 
Yeah, and... Like, your handwriting... Even in one word, I will make a T two different ways. Oh, my E's, so different every single time. I When I was in, like, middle school or, like, early high school, I tried to write what, interestingly, almost exactly like this letter writer writes. And you'll, you can see the, the um, images on Instagram, but... I had like this block lettering that like for a very long time, I was like, this is the way I'm going to write. I'm like changing my handwriting and I'm going to be really cool. And I'm going to write my A's like this and everything's going to be capitalized. And I wrote an entire English paper that way on a test. And my English like teacher came back to me and was like, I cannot read this. I'm going to need you to write this like a normal person, like just sit here and like rewrite it please because I literally cannot read this and I was like it's not that hard but okay and I like rewrote Cheryl the Warnock thing. has entered the chat <laughs> any like tech theater person they all write in all caps yeah all like. caps but if for some reason I just was like I'm gonna change my entire handwriting that and then there was this girl in high school who she was so meticulous about her handwriting to the point if she made a mistake, she would throw the piece of paper away and start over. And I was like, that is just too much effort. No. But it was like a slanted cursive handwriting. It was pretty. Oh. But I was like, that's just too much. There is this girl in my ninth grade, no, not ninth grade, 11th grade AP English class. Her name was Miriam. I mean, I assume it's still Miriam. But we were doing AP tests, like prep, like we had done, you know, a timed essay and we were supposed to exchange them and do like a peer review or whatever. I literally could not read her cursive. Like it looked great, but it was very tight and very small. It was like reading and a, cursive. a Shakespeare play. Yes. I was like, I literally, I was like, I'm sorry, I can't give you feedback. I could only read every couple words. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I, it's like my dad's handwriting because the bone shaman writes prescriptions all the time. And when I worked the front desk for him for like a month and a half, I was one of the only people in the office because the staff was so new who knew how to read his handwriting. So I was like, yeah, that's his Percocet. And it was literally just like a P with a line. But I was like, that's just, that's how he writes it. All of my birthday cards from my father are signed with like an X and a line, which is his uh, doctor like signature. <laughs> I love it. Dr. Dad. Dr. Dad. Love him. The goober. Oh, they also found in this 48 Hours episode that some of the letters that were received during the time that Paul was in prison had his fingerprints on them. A what now? Yeah. So were they of like events that were happening after he was in prison or were they more generic, like vague, like he could have pre-written them and someone mailed them? I'm not sure. That's that second one is one of the theories of him being the letter writer. Yeah. Who I feel like, People in prison don't have that many stamps. Well, and all of your ingoing and outgoing mail is monitored. Unless you give it to a guard. There's a spy on the inside. That's right. Um, but the other thought is that he had given them to somebody, like you said, and like pre-written them and had someone send them for him or like left them at like a, I don't know. It feels weird to be like, here, other person. 
you won't rat on me. Like, who who would that person be? And are they living in Columbus and be able to, like, send the letters? Okay, but if there's someone in Columbus who, like, doesn't know, maybe he has a different identity. Because, obviously, if it was someone in his town... Well, yeah, that and, would that go... had the letters, then they'd be like, up. oh, and then you went to jail. I'm not going to mail these anymore. <laughs> you went to jail for sending suspicious letters and maybe murdering someone. Um... But if you, you know, if he wasn't Paul, what's his name? He was, you know, Joe Schmo that needed to mail things to his family or what, you know. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I don't know. Because if the fingerprints truly are his, then the only real possibility is that one, like, he had the paper at some point and was able to put his fingers on it and someone either wrote it for him or he wrote it. Or someone wrote it. Yeah, no. Not for I, him, but like, you know what I mean. I'm going to tell you my theory because you're probably not going to talk That's about fine. It. Go ahead. Okay. What if? Because when you were asking like, how does this person know all these details about all these people in town? I was like, okay, what if there's, like, a town therapist? There's, like, a town shrink, right? Oh, golly. And then the that person, even though it's, like, a little further away, they still are, like, the prison counselor or something. Something like that. So, like, you know, for whatever reason, they make up an excuse that, like, oh, I mean, I feel like this is, what, the 80s? By the time 90s, he's in yeah. jail or in the 90s, like, I feel like the conversation hadn't really, it wasn't really happening yet of like, wow, being in solitary confinement really messes with your mental health. Specifically, like, obviously being in prison, not great either, but like solitary confinement. um, Very detrimental. Like, very, very not good for your brain. But who knows? Maybe it was a very forward-thinking evil shrink that was trying to frame people. <laughs> so, like, the shrink would give an excuse of, like, I'm concerned about about inmate number, blah, 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 and would, like, make him come to an appointment and have, like, a stack of paper there. I and really like You know this. what I mean? Some, some – it, it's sort of like in um, – spoiler alert, but it's been out for a long time, but, like, in Gone Girl yeah, where – Amy buys all the really expensive stuff, but then she also, like, drugs Ben Affleck's character yeah. so that he won't wake up. And, like, while he's asleep, she, like, puts the golf club in his hand so, like, his fingerprints are all over the stuff when they find it in the secret shed. Yeah. So it looks super shady. Yeah. Sort of like that. Like I feel like something like that must have happened because my biggest thing is that he was in prison. He's in prison. Like... Regardless of the fact that, like, the prison system sucks and, you know, they might not be able to catch everything in terms of, like, they're keeping a watchful eye on people. He was in solitary confinement three separate times Mm -hmm. and letters were still being circulated at that time. Yeah. So it's not like they, that he wasn't under watch at any point. Yeah. So. Or, or like, were they... (laughs) Were they having them, like, mill paper in the prison? Right? Or something like, crazy the one, like that? the one lady who, like, her DNA ended up in all the cotton swabs in the factory, and that's why she kept showing up at all the crime yeah. scenes. Yeah, yeah. As in the evidence when she wasn't actually she wasn't committing murders all across the country. No, she was just working <laughs> in the not, factory yeah. like a normal person. Yeah. 
I mean, I really like the therapist theory. Again, you're writing these thrillers, and I don't know why you haven't just put oh, pen to not, paper. I would not. I would not. Mm-mm. You wouldn't write a thriller. I don't want to freak myself out. <laughs> also, I don't. And this is not me being like oh, I'm. I'm humble. I like. I. I feel like I'm not clever enough to come up with something that's elaborate enough to have like a big reveal at the end to trick your to trick your people. audience. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. I, I feel, feel like, like I would be like trying too hard. Yeah, I would end up giving something away in a way that would be like very obvious to everyone else that I You're would like, then be oh, like, oh, I oh, dropped a breadcrumb. And we're yeah. like, you dropped a whole baguette. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thanks. It's delicious, but I totally saw this coming. <laughs> this is my new favorite phrase. <laughs> A whole baguette? You dropped a whole baguette. (laughs) (laughs) Ugh. All right. We're back. All right. (laughs) Paul maintained his innocence and even had a blog. A blog? (laughs) But he passed in 2012. No. The next possibility is that Karen Freshour, Paul's ex-wife, was the letter writer. She could have been trying to help her brother, made some missteps which led to his death, and then tried to cover up her own involvement by stealing her ex-husband's gun and framing him. This doesn't seem to explain the reason to spread gossip all over Circleville, but that could have been used as a way to cover up a real motive. Not really sure how it would have served her, but... Misdirection. um, I guess. During the divorce, Paul had ended up with custody of her kids, of, Mm. of their kids, So there's motive there to get him out of the picture. But attempted murder of your sister-in-law, especially after your brother has passed, feels like a bit much. Mm -hmm. Martin Yant, a journalist, reported in Unsolved Mysteries that some evidence that would have been useful to the defense was never presented. So here's a quote, specifically from him, from Unsolved Mysteries. Mary Gillespie told the sheriff one of the other bus drivers told her that she had been driving the same road about 20 minutes before Mary Gillespie found that booby trap at exactly that site. And when she went by that very same intersection, there was a yellow El Camino parked there. A large man with sandy hair was standing there. When he saw her come, he turned around and acted like he was going to the bathroom or something, but also seemed to be avoiding any kind of identification. The description of the individual does not fill does not fit Paul Freshour at all, and Paul had a very solid alibi for the time. There was no attempt at all to follow up on that lead, and if they had, as I say, they would have found that another possible suspect in this case had a brother who had a yellow El Camino. End quote. This suspect was Karen's new boyfriend. (gasps) Do you know what an El Camino is? It's a car. Yes, it is a car. It's a sports car. I didn't necessarily know what it was, but it's like a sedan that's also a pick, like a pickup truck. Oh, it's a weird looking car. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just wanted to point that out. That cool. It's a weird car. We're from we're we're doing Boston today, apparently. Um, even though we're in Ohio. Ohio. What do, what do Ohioans? What was it that that Grant? said that you were like are you from pennsylvania oh the way that 
people from the Rust Belt will say like something needs washed instead of it needs washing or it needs to be washed. Like they say it grammatically incorrect. Drove me up a wall when I went to school in Pennsylvania. <laughs> They'd be like, ah, the roof, the roof needs washed, washed, washed. from water from the creek. <laughs> I'm like, y'all, who are you people? <laughs> I can't with this. But that's where I feel like, like, I feel like every American says this, or a lot of Americans say this, but I don't feel like I have an accent. I because have... I don't carry around a lot of those, like, colloquialisms. Yeah. Like, I say y'all, but I went to school in sort of Southern Virginia, but it's not like I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I have noticed more that I have an accent only on certain words, or I have a noticeably different accent. Like, I would say that my accent is pretty even, and I think yours is pretty much too. But there are certain words that I say that for some reason I sound like a New Yorker, or it'll sound a lot more Southern, or it'll sound like even Spanish because of like certain ways that I'll say A's and stuff like that. But the only reason I know that is because I edit our podcast. <laughs> and so I'm like paying very close attention mm-hmm. to it all. So whatever Ohioans sound like. Oh. Oh. <laughs> what are your pro- what oh. are your pronouns? Open. And- Oop. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Anyway. Alright. Another suspect. Suspected writer was William Massey, who was Gordon Massey's son. Oh. He could have been upset by his father's alleged affair if it had happened before the letters, too. He would have had reason to write the letters to Mary. If not, he could have done it out of teenage spite or rage or something of the sort. He was a teenager at the time. Mm. Some of the initial letters had also been signed with a W, which could have stood for William. It could also have stood for writer. (laughs) Or something of Mm. that sort. Another theory is that it was a mix of three. Martin Yant and others have posited that it could be three people rather than just one, which seems more plausible, um, though they were likely not all working together. William Massey, who would have wanted his father to stop an affair. Karen, who would have wanted potentially to warn her brother and maybe get her ex-husband out of the picture. And David Longberry, who had been infatuated with Mary and may have felt jilted. He was the person that they had sent the letters to initially to mm-hmm. be like, stop this. Um, the, the other bus driver, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thought is that once someone started the role of letters, that other people picked it up in order to just use it as a, a, as a cover. Yeah. And because the handwriting was, like, distinctive but not personalized, it was just block hand li- handwriting. And I'll, it, you'll see on the Instagram, the letters to Mary are a different kind of block lettering than the rest of the letters. But, but how would they know? Like, she wasn't telling anyone, and even after... Like, after they went to the police, did they, like, put it in the newspaper to be like, check your uncle's handwriting. Does it match this? He's weird. I don't know. Right? Like, I have no clue. 
but the th- I, this this theory has come about after years later like so this isn't necessarily something i mean it might have been something that people thought about at that time but how are you going to be checking against the handwriting of somebody who doesn't normally write that way not even that i just mean like if one person started the letters, oh, yeah. how would the other two know to write in block handwriting? Unless other people were showing the letters to each cover. other. Yeah, but it sounds like it. I don't know. Wasn't I? Think, unless they were all going to a therapist. <laughs> I think maybe after the initial, and because the initial letters to Mary are a very different style of block lettering, like they're longer. Maybe after those le- letters had been received and other people had received other letters they had been like oh you're receiving these letters too well look at mine was it the same person kind of thing but like it says so and so slept with so and so and you're like wait a minute don't read it (laughs) so the the vibe of like not talking about the letters until someone else is talking about them just make me laugh because it reminds me of Sweetbriar with Pain Patches. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, the wizards, like, deliver the letters to the people who are eligible, but we want to make sure that they want to be in the club. So we, you know, we say, like, tie these ribbons on, but if, you know, every all the Pain Patches people are, like, sitting in the dining hall trying to, like, scope out. To like figure out who's Does the... anyone see if they're wearing their... Has anyone seen them wear the ribbons? No. And sometimes you have to, like, deploy a wizard to be, like... Or, like, another Pain Patches person be like, Hey, um, did you get a weird email? Or, like, a weird letter? <laughs> and then the person will, you know, like... It just makes me laugh. That's a lot less serious than people sleeping yeah. with people, but... It's very much like, do you want to be in the club? It's like, it's a secret. But then as soon as someone talks to you, you're like, oh my gosh, okay, cool. I had questions. Great. I, I have so you many questions. You know the secret too? Perfect. Great. The last possible person out of who we know could be involved is Mary Gillespie. Dun, dun, dun. This theory comes from Drunk History... Because I, I was wondering. I was waiting. I've been yeah. waiting for this one. I texted Shannon last night and said, not me doing my research uh, by watching Drunk History. It was a delightful episode. It also, which I found, found hilarious, was that on the Drunk History episode that I watched, it was a Unsolved Mysteries like parody. <laughs> and so they did the three cases that the Unsolved Mysteries episode that this uh, case is on um also did because they did all three and agatha christie's disappearance was Uh one of them so but it's a very funny episode of drunk history but this theory comes from that where georgia hard stark of my favorite murder tells this story to Derek waters the host and Derek, after georgia finishes says that he believes that mary gillespie was the circleville letter writer she was a school bus driver and kids notice a heck of a lot They talk to each other and would most likely tell each other about their parents and what was going on in their houses. Mary could have gathered gossip from all around town just by picking up and dropping off kids on her regular bus route. She may have wanted to continue her relationship with Gordon and found a way to get rid of her husband and frame her ex-brother-in-law and get away with all of it. There is no info on whether she continued her relationship with Gordon so far as I could find, but it feels like she couldn't have not known at least something. She was able to take down that booby trap without getting shot, and that feels very lucky. But 
the fact that it was written about her daughter and it was very vulgar mm-hmm. feels implausible to me for her to write something like that. Well, unless she was already willing, a twisted person. Yeah, I'm like, if you're willing to let your husband get murdered or die in mysterious circumstances, like, if you're a narcissist or a sociopath, you don't care. Yeah. And it makes me question because she was on her way to Florida mm. when he was or so in his say. car. Yeah. And when he got the call, he didn't tell his kids who it was. He didn't say out loud who it was. He barely said anything to the person on the phone. He just picked it up and automatically knew this is the person who wrote these letters. I'm going to go and take care of it. Mm. I just, you guys, people, friends, just communicate with your partners. <laughs> this is a PSA. I just, look, if monogamy's your jam, I love that for you. If it's not working with your partner, murder is not the answer. It is... You know, even 1980, 1970, divorce is an option. Maybe not your preferable one, but it's better than murder. It is better than murder. Anything is better than murder. Just so many things. It's like, I didn't want to be with my husband anymore, so I did this elaborate plan. I'm like, It is very elaborate. Or, (laughs) what about this option? (laughs) It is very elaborate. Like, that you would... I mean, I, I wonder, too, if she was just, like, invested in continuing this ability to basically snoop on all of her neighbors and felt like some kind of power, but then realized I need to have some kind of scoop on me. Mm -hmm. And maybe she wasn't having an affair before the letters happened, but she wrote the letter to herself and had it so that it didn't look like it was her and she wasn't receiving anything. See, that's where I think in that vein that it would make sense for her to write because a mother would never write that about her own child. Exactly. I'm like... "Mm -hmm." And then Mm -hmm. your scenario comes up where it's like she goes to Gordon Massey and is like, yo, I've been getting these letters. Have you been getting anything? And then an affair starts. Wouldn't recommend it, friends. Would not recommend. Like, come on. (laughs) Zero out of ten. Lastly... A quote from the Thought Catalog. What's especially creepy is how omnipotent the Circleville letter writer seems. They knew so many people's secrets in town. Some of these secrets are really serious things that people do kill over, if you've ever seen an episode of Forensic Files. That rumor about the prosecutor in Paul Freshour's trial? It turned out to be at least half true. The prosecutor, Roger Klein, was discovered to have had an affair with a dead woman, and he was the father of her unborn child. Dun, dun, dun. Dr. Ray Carroll, who performed Ron Gillespie's autopsy, was outed by the Circleville writer as a pedophile in 1993. End quote. I still think it was a therapist. I mean, I don't disagree with you. Somebody call Hollywood. But after 1993 been gone ever since i mean i was brought into the world so might have been it might have been because i was born <laughs> you're I the goodness cleared, of your I, soul exactly. just yeeted the evil out of someone else exactly yep it was me all right it was case me. closed case closed 
You're welcome, world. <laughs> wow. Uh, what a time. Yeah, that was a fun one. I really enjoyed this. Also, I really enjoyed your face when you found out that they had an affair. <laughs> <laughs> mid, it wasn't even a spit take. It, no, it was, it was just very a close, mid, though. A mid, a mid sip. It was very close. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. If you want to be cool but not creepy, you could write us a letter from our website. <laughs> if you write it in all caps. All, oh, gosh. Yeah. Put your little special twist on it. And, uh, yeah. We'll read it aloud. Um, and I don't... Someday. <laughs> I don't uh, promise not to read it as if you're screaming at me if you write it in all caps. Whoa. <laughs> If, it, if you're going to do that, make, make it a short email, please. Make it very short for Shannon's sake. Yeah. That would be fun, though. I'd really enjoy that. But your so your thought is that it's a, a therapist? Because I think that it was Mary. I mean, I, I can see that. But I like mine because then we're not being mean to our own kids. That, too. If yeah. it's a mystery therapist. And I love the... Well, I don't love because people being evil is bad. But from a story point standpoint, if this were like a fictional movie, um, it, I think that it, it makes it, I mean, classic me, right? It sort of adds sort of like a heist element or like yeah. of how the therapist would be getting to the prison to get fingerprints on paper from Paul. Ding, 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 ding. It would be all that. Yeah. No, I think that is a possibility. Like, it, it feels like a real possibility. Because otherwise, I don't know how the fingerprints got there. Although, the Bever- Beverly East is like, one, she she literally said, she's like, I'm 100% convinced that it was Paul. But I just don't see a motive for him. Like, there does it, I don't, and I, I have no idea what he would gain out of it. And it's not like it would, I don't know, I don't know. He had gotten his kids in the custody agreement, so, like, it's not like he was having to fight over anything specific, unless he didn't want his kids. Like, I don't really know. I don't know how all that went down. But, like, yeah. I don't know. It feels weird. It's one of those things, though, where it's, like, because it's not happening anymore, it feels like no one's really affected, but apparently... So Circleville, Ohio is like very adamantly against having this whole thing be like I went to their Wikipedia page. It is literally one line in their Wikipedia page and it is mentioned nowhere on their town website. Nope. Because all they want to be known for is like the pumpkin the pumpkin festival. festival. <laughs> That's They're fair. like we we painted the water tower. As a pumpkin. They're like, oh my gourd, you guys. Oh my gourd. <laughs> oh my gourd. Oh my gourd. <laughs> we gotta go. We gotta go or go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, if you're like a pumpkin, uh, we've planted seeds, something. I don't know what metaphor I'm doing, but email us, follow us, whatever, all this stuff. Find us everywhere at thispodcastdoesn'texist.com. And remember, this podcast doesn't exist. Oh, we didn't make eye Oh, <laughs> oh and I swore. Yeah. <laughs>
You gotta bleep yourself. It's too funny not to. (laughs) (laughs) The ASMR of it all. (sighs) And remember, this podcast doesn't exist. My glasses fogged up.